This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is a Business Radio special presentation of Launchpad. This week, more than 180,000 people, 4,500 technology companies, and hundreds of startups have gathered in Las Vegas to showcase their latest innovations in car technology, smart appliances, health gadgets, gaming, and more. Also in attendance is a global audience of buyers, analysts, media, and venture capitalists, all searching for the next big hit in consumer technology. Joining the crowd from the Toyota stage on the floor of the world's biggest consumer electronics show. Here is Rob Connybeer. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Launchpad on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Rob Connybeer, and I'm coming to you from the Toyota booth at CES 2018 in Las Vegas, the world's largest consumer electronics trade show. For those of you that are new to Launchpad, I'm a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, a leading venture capital firm based out in the Silicon Valley Bay Area where we focus on investing in early-stage companies. So what is Launchpad? Launchpad is all about exploring how to start companies, from coming up with the ideas to raising capital, and ultimately, how do you sell the company or take it to an IPO? We're live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and I switch off hosting Launchpad each week with Carl Ulrich, who's the Vice Dean of Innovation at the Wharton School. Today, we have some awesome guests, mostly in the field of autonomous vehicles. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about CES and why we're here today. CES is also known as the Consumer Electronics Show. It's considered the Super Bowl for global consumer electronics and consumer technology. Thousands of exhibitors from all over the world come to Las Vegas each year to show the latest in innovation and technology on close to 3 million square feet of exhibit space. The show is packed with smartphones, smartwatches, drones, home entertainment systems, autonomous vehicles, and more. About 4,000 exhibitors are here lining the aisles and close to 200,000 attendees from around the world. Coming up in just a minute, I'll speak with Jim Adler. He's from Toyota AI Ventures. It's a venture capital subsidiary of the Toyota Research Institute. Then we'll have Chris Heiser. He'll join the show. He's the co-founder and CEO of Renovo, a Silicon Valley technology company building the operating system for automated mobility. In the second hour, we'll talk about all the exciting news and products that are being introduced across CES with Jeff Joseph from the Consumer Technology Association, which owns and produces CES. And then finally, we'll hear from Dominic Dobson. He's a former professional race car driver and a co-founder of VR Motion Corp., a developer of virtual reality automotive software. But first, I'm thrilled to welcome our first guest of the day, Jim Adler. He's the managing director and board member at Toyota's corporate venture capital subsidiary called Toyota AI Ventures, and also a vice president at Toyota Research Institute. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Rob. So, Jim, thrilled to have you here. Could you, before we get into the interview, could you just talk a bit about what is TRI and a little about the venture fund that you run for Toyota? Sure. Uh, So Toyota Research Institute was founded in uh, January 2016, uh, focused on autonomy and robotics. Uh, Autonomy comes in two flavors, uh, uh, Guardian, which is to help drivers be safer, uh, and Chauffeur, which is L4, level four autonomy. 
Uh, we're also doing a lot of work in robotics. Uh, last year, July, we launched Toyota AI Ventures, a $100 million uh, venture capital fund focused on early stage investments in underlying technologies around data, cloud, and artificial intelligence as applied to uh, autonomous mobility and robotics. We've done uh, five investments uh, to date. Uh, there's a couple more in the pipeline we'll be announcing uh, later in the month, but uh, we're really exciting. Uh, we have a excited companies, and they're just doing amazing things. So one big question that everybody has when they ask about autonomous vehicles is, when are we really going to see these level four, level five cars out on the road that'll take us from one place to another, not just on the highway, but from one place to another? Well, you know, I think it, it, it'll come sooner than you think, but not everywhere you would want. And so I, I think that, like, to your point, we'll, we will see as early as 2020, uh, Toyota Safety Sense uh, doing uh, uh, highway uh, autonomy uh, to make driving safer, uh, to uh, uh, parse the, the environment and make planning decisions uh, to make driving safer. Uh, the autonomy that will be geofenced and uh, as part of uh, mobility as a service offerings uh, will be here, and you'll start to see a gentle ramp up to greater and greater uh, uh, greater number of trips being autonomous. And that, that'll cover uh, more and more difficult situations. So you talked a little bit about robotics and autonomy, and you're called AI Ventures. So what are the specific opportunities that you see in and around AI, artificial intelligence? Mm -hmm. Uh, for uh, autonomy, there's, there's always you know, three layers to the stack. There's uh, perception and parsing the environment. There's prediction of what those objects that you've just parsed will do. And then what should the robot do? Uh, how should it plan what, how it will move? And that's true for autonomous vehicles as well as robots. I mean, cars are just really, really big robots with wheels. And so uh, we see a tremendous amount of innovation in perception. We think there's great investment opportunities around prediction. Uh, uh, we've made some uh, uh, an amazing investment uh, in real-time robotics that improves the speed of planning by 10,000 times. Uh, one of our portfolio companies, Intuition Robotics, uh, won Best of Innovation in the Smart Home category, which we're really excited about here at CES. So we're seeing tremendous innovation, and actually not just in the technology side, but actually bringing it into people's lives, which is really important. So you mentioned this idea of planning, mm -hmm. and I think some people talk about it as path planning. What, what is that? What does that mean? Well, whenever the, any robot, be it an armed uh, robot, legged robot, or a car, it has to figure out where it's going to move, and it has to evaluate all the potential plans of where, it ha ha where and how it might move. Uh, and it obviously wants to uh, uh, maximize safety uh, and maximize efficiency. And the more plans that it could uh, evaluate per second, uh, the more efficient it will be and the, and the more, more safe it will be. So how do you teach a car to do this? How do you teach a robot to do that? Data. 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 Lots of data. Lots of data. Where does that data come from? It comes from all kinds of places. Uh, and... So there's a, uh, the, the, head into the, the head of the perception stack is the sensor complement. So whether it's cameras or LIDAR or radar, uh, those sensors feed into sensor fusion. And 
that data comes into the perception, prediction, and planning stack to teach the robot its environment, what, those, what that environment will do, and what it should do in it. And so this is when you're looking at an autonomous car or robot, and it has all these cameras and LIDAR and radar and all these things hanging off there. They're just generating and gathering a huge amount of data? That's right. That's right. And you'll use that data in training mode to learn about difficult situations, uh, uh, ambiguous situations. Like, for example, there's uh, LIDAR traditionally is, is a really high-resolution sensor, but LIDAR doesn't see through steam very well, uh, like steam coming through a manhole cover. Looks like a cement post. Uh, radar can see through just about anything, but the resolution always isn't as high, although there's great innovation happening in imaging radar. So each of these sensors have their, their strengths and their weaknesses, and the, the rest of the stack has to accommodate for that in order to understand its environment and what it should do in it. So when you look at these cars today... And you look at these prototypes, you have this Toyota prototype over here right now on that platform. You have this huge sensor stack on the roof. How, how long do you think it'll be until that becomes smaller and it kind of fades away and it fits into the actual shell of the vehicle itself? Well, compared to every other sensor stack that's on the market, that is a beautiful piece of machinery and engineering. <laughs> so I that, agree. Okay, Completely so come agree. on, let's, let's be real, Rob. That's, that, it's gorgeous. Uh, and if you look in the trunk... Uh, the, the, the compute module is, is amazingly compact and, and quite powerful. So uh, every iteration, it's getting better and smaller and more efficient and more streamlined, uh, and it's looking more and more like it's, it's part of the vehicle. Yeah, well, it's definitely a lot better looking than the Velodyne trash cans that you would see up on top of the Google self-driving cars just a year or two ago. I will take that as high praise. So when you look at the technologies that are coming along right now, what are the technologies that you think are the most important that are still at a nascent stage to really bring these these cars to market? Well, I think that if you look at the stack I just articulated, perception, prediction, and planning. The technology right stack. stack. Right. Um, prediction is really hard. So even if you understand what is the road, what are pedestrians, what are other cars, what are bicyclists, you now have to understand and and uh, predict where these objects will move. So if you're at an intersection and you see some pedestrians at the corner, uh, are they two kids with a skateboard? May, uh, with skateboards, maybe they'll cross against the light, but a mom with a stroller probably won't. And so, how do you predict? what these objects will do. And that is very, very new Oh, so ground. this comes into AI. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Connybeer, and you're listening to a special edition of Launchpad, broadcasting from the Toyota booth at CES in Las Vegas. I'm speaking with Jim Adler. He's a managing director and board member of Toyota's venture capital subsidiary, Toyota AI Ventures, and he's also a VP at the Toyota Research Institute. So we we're just about to talk about AI again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really about using data to understand what is in the scene and then learning what those objects will do. And so experientially, you can look at these two kids with skateboards at the corner and you will learn over time that when we tend to see those kids with skateboards... If we see a, the skateboard... Right, there's a correlation that they're likely going to move against the light. So you want to give them some, some space to do that. Uh, 
adults, older adults, moms with strollers, they, they may be less likely to move against the light. And so you have higher confidence that you can safely move through. Well, it's interesting when you think about it because we go back to talking about data mm-hmm. and putting this data together. And through our life experiences, we probably have an expectation of what's going to happen with somebody pushing a baby stroller versus on a skateboard. But for vehicles, they're just gathering data, right? And you don't have just one vehicle, but you're going to have millions of these vehicles on the road gathering this data, putting this all together. And is that one of the companies and areas that you look at is how do you gather that data and then make sense of it? Yeah. uh, So it's all about, yes, gathering data and understanding uh, the the behavior of of, uh, the actors in the scene. Uh, Cars are social. They're driven by people. Uh, They're interacting with other people. Those people have behaviors that are actually... uh, uh, locale specific, so it's uh, they, they often in in San Francisco, pedestrians rule the road. In Amsterdam, bicyclists rule the road, and uh, and there's a lot of jaywalking in New York. But you know, don't cut off a taxi cab. So th- there's these subtle social uh, mores that we we ascribe to, and autonomous vehicles will have to learn those social skills. And it sounds like for the first time, you'll start to have cars where they get smarter with time. Absolutely. So you may not necessarily have the best performance when you get the car because the longer you have it, the more it learns. The more it learns from other cars on the road, it could get better and better. Oh, it definitely will. And and I think that's why when you look at what would likely be uh, the the first uh, application of level four uh, autonomy, uh, it will be ride sharing because you can optimize for the trip. If the roads are good and the weather is good and there's no construction, you could send a car without a driver. If any of those things are not true, you send a driver. Same thing with our guardian system that the AI is guarding the driver. The driver is driving most of the time, but most uh, most crashes happen when drivers are distracted or they're drowsy or they're drunk uh, or they're speeding. And the autonomy can help guard those situations to make driving safer, safer when the driver needs it most. And so that is also a gentle ramp because the driver is carrying the load most of the time. But over, over time, uh, the autonomy will get better and better. Well, it sounds like maybe taking what you're saying and building on that a bit, it's not going to be a sudden ramp where all of a sudden every car on the road is autonomous. It won't there's, be a step function. Yeah. There's actually going to be this transition that you see over time to where the car is doing more and more of the driving for you. That's right. And, and it's so important that we understand that. I think there's a sense of when will we have L5 driving autonomy all the time everywhere? And, and that the, may be actually 20, 30 years out. For, it's a long... When you really think of something that could take you to the mountains to go skiing. It's a long ways snow. away. Absolutely. But, in the, but I think if we can understand that, we will move forward as uh, the autonomy gets better and it becomes safer and we have confidence that it could handle the situations that either drivers don't handle well or uh, completely autonomous situations that we know the autonomy can handle well. So when you take a look at what's going on in this area, you've spent a lot of time looking at a lot of the core technologies that are required. For people that are looking at this area, what is actually the hardest part of the entire problem? Ah, that's a good... Well, 
it, it, it moves over time because there's technology innovation and, and great companies that we're both inv invested in. Uh, so the, the disruption is happening at an incredibly accelerated pace, which is why we felt we needed firsthand knowledge uh, at Toyota to tap into that disruptive innovation. So it, a few years ago, it was all about there were the, the LiDAR camera wars, right? Everybody said, well, if you're going to do autonomy, you've got to do cameras. You've got to do LiDAR. And, and now it's being better understood that it, there's going to be a sensor fusion approach uh, to uh, the, the, the input to the perception stack. Uh, the prediction is, I would argue, where we don't quite understand uh, what is required because, as you said, we have what's called this theory of mind that we sort of put ourselves in through, we put ourselves through the eyes of other drivers, like almost automatically. And so we you look teach at the driver to do that. and you make a prediction what that driver is going to do. That's right. So you see a taxi cab, a Las Vegas taxi cab. You might expect it to do something that's a little different mm -hmm. than the skateboarder you were that's talking about. That's absolutely right. And we talk a lot about uh, unprotected left turns, which is very tough. So you're trying to make a left turn, and there's no stoplight, no traffic light, and you're, you have to make this turn again, uh, across traffic, and you got to let people let you in, and it's really stressful. And, you know, it's like my, merging onto a highway. That's right. You know, my personal rule of thumb is you know, always cut in front of a car that's nicer than yours because they don't let you in. Uh, and, uh, and so we all have these little rules that we follow, and machines have to learn those rules and those social rules. And there's, I think, this wave of innovation that's going to happen uh, and that is happening, uh, that will be solving that problem. I think you know, we see great in strides in perception and sensors. The neck, uh, we see great strides in, in planning, as I talked about. That middle layer, uh, I think we're going to see a wave of innovation there coming soon. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Cunnybeer, and you're listening to a special edition of Launchpad, broadcasting from the Toyota booth at CES. I'm speaking with Jim Adler. He is a managing director and board member of Toyota's corporate venture capital subsidiary, Toyota AI Ventures, and he's also a vice president at the Toyota Research Institute. So when you take a look at the companies that are doing interesting things today, let's put aside maybe Toyota and the manufacturers. Who are the most interesting kind of component companies beneath the surface that people might not be as familiar with. Everybody's heard of Toyota, they've heard of Honda, they've heard of BMW, but what's that next layer of technology that people might not have heard of? Well, I think what's happening, uh, I'm, a, I'm an old data guy uh, and uh, been doing uh, big data analytics for, for a decade, more than a decade now, don't want to date myself. And, and what we're seeing in automotive is uh, a lot of uh, adoption of technology that has been uh, on the high-tech side of, of the, the world for quite a while. And now it's being adopted uh, on the auto automotive side. So I often say, uh, uh, to rip off uh, uh, Ted Sarandos from Netflix, who said Netflix has to become HBO before HBO becomes Netflix. Automotive has to become high-tech before high-tech becomes automotive. And so what you're seeing is... Oh, it's this merging. That's right. And, and for example, uh, Toyota has a lot of data, but we, we actually, uh, we think about it, we've traditionally thought about it as more of test data, not training data. And so we're looking at this huge data hoard that we've collected over a long time and realize that it's a huge asset uh, to train autonomous vehicles, which... Five years ago, we may not have thought of it that way. So there's these new assets, data assets, that are un, uh, being unearthed. Now, how do you build effective data pipelines and training uh, uh, 
pipelines to be able to, uh, uh, as we spoke about earlier, get your autonomous uh, model, uh, AI models Well, it's prepared. one of the things that people don't think about with these cars is when you look at all the sensors that are on top of this car, it's gathering so much data that it's, it's terabytes and terabytes over mm-hmm. the course of maybe 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it could be like... More than you might have seen in the entire internet mm-hmm. 10, 15 years ago yeah, being collected so on did, top of a car as did, it drives around. I did a calculation that said if you just look at the U.S. fleet new fleet every year, it kicks off about the, the data equivalent of, of about 15 Facebooks every single day, which is an incredible at about 10 gigabytes a mile. Well, it becomes a real problem because if you want to gather that data, you either have to take a subset of it to be able to get it off wirelessly, or you have people actually grabbing hard drives mm-hmm. out of the trunks and putting them into a data center. Or you do some smart sampling of that. So we have a portfolio company, Nauto, that's doing some smart sampling of that data uh, stream that, that uses the data stream in a, in a smart way to do uh, effective analytics for driver safety. So, so seeing- Nauto is an interesting company. Mm-hmm. Could you describe Nauto, what they do? Yeah, so what Nauto does is uh, makes uh, fleet management and, uh, and drivers for fleets much smarter and safer. So they gather data about uh, driving habits and uh, uh, difficult situations and provide that, do analytics on that data and provide it back to drivers uh, and fleet managers to make uh, their drivers more, more and safe. don't they build cameras that go into these Yeah, cars? they have a device that actually looks out and looks in. Uh, it's like a dash cam. That's right. A specialized dash that's cam right. just that's to right. gather this type of that's information. That's right. And, and do the smart data reduction that you talked about. So it doesn't send everything up. It does some really smart uh, analytics uh, to to help drivers be safer. And I think that's where there's a tremendous amount of innovation. Of course, everyone likes to look at the sensors, but dealing with these huge data pipelines where tons of data is coming through is really where uh, it's not all that glamorous, but it's incredibly important. But it sounds like it's the most important problem in a lot of ways because once you have vehicles that everything is electrically actuated, then it becomes a controls problem. That's right. And Just that, how do you decide how far you want to steer? Or yeah, the outputs are not that hard, right? Uh, acceleration, brake, and steering angle. Okay? The inputs are huge. The outputs are relatively small. It's a big data reduction problem. So one thing I want to ask you about is with these cars and talking to people, I've heard about different autonomous vehicles having different personalities. Mm-hmm. So I've heard people from BMW, for example, saying that a BMW is going to drive like a BMW or the idea that a Jaguar would ride like a Jaguar and you could close your eyes and you would know you're in that car. Do you think that'll happen with cars where different automakers will do not just the path planning you were talking about, but motion planning, which is almost like dance moves for how the car actually does how it moves around the road? Yeah, I I do think that uh, driver and passenger experience uh, is something the automakers, we all guard very closely. Uh, and that's part of uh, what makes a Toyota. Guard, it, Toyota guard or, it closely? Yeah. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I mean, I think how a, a specific car handles is something that, that uh, our customers really value. And so we would, as we move into autonomy, we would like uh, that, that feel to be preserved, even if the car is being driven autonomously. I think... Uh, we are. Uh, what, what is that Toyota feeling? <laughs> I think people know when they think of like a German sports sedan what that means. But what does it mean for Toyota? Well, you know, I, I think it, it, there's a there's a seamless feel between the driver and the car. Uh, 
it's 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 amazingly empowered. I you know I've heard Gil Pratt, our CEO, say. Uh, you know, we have a different relationship with our car than we say with home appliances like a refrigerator. You know, there, there's, there's car and driver magazine. There, there's not refrigerator and eater magazine, he says. And I think that's a great way to think about it because the, the, the car has, it, it provides a seamless empowerment where by a, a, a small movement of your hands or your feet, all of a sudden you get this incredible power acceleration, you know, into the world. And we try to make that as seamless and, and, and as empowering as possible. And I think that's part of, of, of the secret sauce. It is interesting when you think about it. When you're driving a car and you turn the wheel, there is a sensation of power when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that scares people. So when you think about drivers, there are some drivers that feel great about that. There are other people that feel timid. What are some of the human factors that a vehicle will need to communicate to its passengers when it's actually driving them around? I think that's a great question, and it's one of the areas that is an active uh, uh, area of research at Toyota Research. We have a great UX team that's doing uh, a tremendous amount of work right around these issues of how does, how does the, the autonomous car feel to... Uh, in the guardian uh, system, where the AI is guarding the driver, what what are what are the what are the cues? What are the handoffs? Uh, it's a it's a really complex problem. A lot of the the research uh, areas are are yet unsolved because, as you said, uh, people come in a, a, a broad spectrum of of capabilities and expectations, and so there's a lot of research to be done in, in that sense. Even on the pure autonomy uh, side. Uh, certain passengers will want to go faster or slower or, you know, they want to accelerate more or less or they, uh, and so how do you capture that and uh, cue the autonomy uh, to behave appropriately? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see which buttons people want to push when they get in the car to see how aggressive they want the car right. to be. Within, within the envelope of legality, what, legality and, and, and not just legality, but what is the median traffic cl- flow feel like? I mean, in certain areas of the country, if, you, if an autonomous vehicle, and this is a policy question, uh, if an autonomous vehicle drives a speed limit, uh, they may clog up traffic because the median speed limit is much higher, even if it's above what's posted. So how, we don't know how to answer those questions. Uh, if, if the autonomous car drives too slow, could that be a safety issue, even though it's driving at the speed limit? Everyone else is driving much faster. So how do, you, how do we deal with those niggling policy questions uh, with when this technology actually hits the road in scale? So in a different direction, when somebody gets in an autonomous vehicle for the first time, I'm sure you've been in autonomous vehicles many, many times. What is the biggest surprise for somebody when they get in and that car actually drives them from one place to another? Uh, I think it, I think it, it it starts with apprehension, and uh, and it, it and why am I doing this? Yeah, and, and does it really know what it's doing? <laughs> you know, it kind of goes through your mind. Uh, by the end of the ride, you're like, wow, that was really smooth. Wow, that, this really this, this car really understands the road. And so you, it's really fun to watch. We actually have a video that, uh, of a demonstration we did back in September. It's on, it's on YouTube. And uh, you see the passengers, uh, and they're not, uh, there's, not, there's some that are not engineers, first time in the car. And you can actually look at their face and see the apprehension at the beginning of the ride. And the end of the ride, they're like, huh, 
that was pretty. That was pretty good. Well, it's, it's it's pretty interesting because I'm sure you've done the same thing. I've gone on a bunch of rides because we invest in startups in right. this space. Sure. And let's just say there are some startups that are further along than others. Understatement. And if you're riding up El Camino Real, which goes between San Francisco and San Jose, mm-hmm. in one of these cars that's at a very early stage, you you actually wonder whether it's going to swerve and hit a pole or something by the side of the road. Right. Or how it's going to deal with these uh, unexpected events that invariably happen. You know, a jaywalker running across the street or a bicyclist that's that's veering into traffic to make a left-hand turn. These sort of corner cases that we all take for granted, but you wonder, <laughs> has, has, uh, has the data been shared with the autonomy so it knows how to deal with that situation? Well, one of the things that is the biggest surprise, I think, for a lot of people is how hard it is to be a safety driver. Oh, I have incredible and, and respect for that. maybe describe a safety driver, what yeah, a safety so driver is. Yeah, so a safety is. driver is uh, uh, typically an operational engineer that is there uh, watching the autonomy to make sure it's behaving well, and if it doesn't, to, to rapidly take control. And uh, these folks have ice water in their veins. Uh, they are incredibly wonderful professionals that... Uh, well, they're uh, the people that are driving multi-million dollar prototypes. That's right. And they don't want to take control until they absolutely, absolutely have, have to. to. So that's nerve-wracking. Well, anyways, Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Rob. It's been a pleasure. So for people that want to follow you on Twitter, where can they go? Uh, Jim Under Adler on Twitter. And... Uh, and toyota-ai.ventures is our website. Great. Well, thanks again, Jim. Thanks, Rob. So we're going to take a quick break. Just stay with us. Just ahead, I'll be joined by Chris Heiser. He is the co-founder and CEO of Renovo. It's a technology company that builds automated mobility operating systems. I'm Rob Conybeer, broadcasting from the Toyota booth at CES 2018 in Las Vegas. And you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.